0: Hello and welcome to the Grief Sofa podcast. I'm Alice and I'm Lucy
1: and together we want to invite guests to come and share their grief with us. Our aim is to cover a whole range of grief from a whole range of people. We're sorry for your loss but we are
0: glad that you have found us. Thank you for listening to the Grief Sofa podcast. In today's episode we are joined by Catherine who talks about the loss of her sister Gabrielle. We discussed the moment she found out her sister's stage four diagnosis with bowel cancer, the significance of signs and dreams whilst grieving, and Catherine's mission to break the taboo around grief.
2: So my name is Catherine. I am in my mid-30s. I'm a teacher from East London, born and bred. Very proud of my London heritage, but very proud of my Irish heritage as well. I'm from an Irish Catholic family, so there's about 400,000 of us. <laughs> um, but we're a very, very, very close family. Um, I don't know if that makes bereavement easier or harder. I think mm. you, you could argue both in some ways. But yeah, we all felt a lot of grief last year. So to the sofas today, I'm bringing the grief from the loss of my sister Um, I lost my sister Gabrielle last year. Uh, She's my only sibling and she died on the 23rd of July 2020 from stage four bowel cancer, which had been diagnosed at the end of November 2019. So it was a pretty short and intense. I don't like to use the word battle, but... (laughs) I don't like journey either because it feels like (laughs)
1: it's hard to find the word with cancer I think
2: (laughs) (laughs) um about I don't know fight with cancer living with cancer I suppose yeah yeah um so in my immediate family there's really not many people who have had cancer um i say that my dad had cancer he had prostate cancer but he um they caught it really early and he had surgery and you know he, this year it's 10 years um since he was diagnosed and wow. i'm so grateful that there's no trace of it the NHS are really good at monitoring him mm. um but none of my Aunts uncles, cousins um none of my friends have had it, so mm. I know people everybody knows somebody that's had it, but um it hits something different when it's somebody so close to you and such a serious diagnosis i would say
0: yes, so losing your losing your sister was that the first loss you've experienced then or? no um the first
2: really close loss was one of my grandparents when I was, yeah. uh, what, 15? Two of my, so my granddads both died. One died before I was born, the other one died when I was just before I was three. So I didn't really know them, but my, uh, one of my nans died when I was 15. And then um, my other grandma died in 2019 from dementia. Um, and I think, do you know, I just think experiencing, that sort of grief as an adult it's um, obviously it's sad and it's devastating but it just feels like this is how it's supposed to be like I'm supposed to lose my grandparents at some point so I'd had that kind of um loss before and that was that hit me quite hard because I was there with her when she passed away as well gosh uh, with my grandma yeah and Mm. I was I genuinely was quite disturbed by it for a while Mm. that moment but now I can look back on it and I can say, Do you know, I'm really um, privileged to have been there mm. because there's so many people that just wish they were there to yeah. say you did too. So, yeah, yes. that was my, the, my biggest, before my sister, that was my biggest loss.
1: How old was Gabrielle?
2: She was 40 when she died. So she was diagnosed about two weeks after her 40th birthday she just thought she'd had a really like heavy birthday and she went in thinking they were going to tell her you know she ease back on the junk food and mm. not she drank a lot of alcohol but that's what she thought they were going to say and then they came out with this um diagnosis for her
0: I mean, that must have been such a shock. And especially, you know, 40, that's that's so young. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's the common phrase that life starts at 40. So to have lost your sister at 40 is just absolutely, absolutely devastating. Do you remember how you felt at the time when when your sister told you about her diagnosis or was it quite blurry? Uh, no, I well, I remember quite a lot of it. Um, it was mm. actually my parents that told me.
2: So I'd come home from work and I remember them coming down the stairs and they'd obviously been crying and my sister had been in hospital for a couple of days because she'd had the week before her diagnosis she'd had a bit of pain in her side and um, she didn't really think a lot of it but she and I had gone to the um, walk-in centre at the hospital and the doctor there thought it might have been like a gallbladder infection or an inflammation. Yeah. So they said, Do you know what, go to the doctor and just ask for a scan. So that was on the Saturday we went to the hospital. On the Monday she went into hospital to have the scan. And then on the Thursday she was diagnosed. Wow. So it was quick.
0: Um uh, What sort sorry. of symptoms was she having then, you said? Just sort of like pains and, and stuff it. like that? Yeah, That's it. So the things with bowel cancer that I preach to everybody
2: are a change in your bowel habits feeling tired unexpected weight loss blood in your stools if you get any of those to go to the doctor and my sister was the mother of a toddler who is not a good sleeper so she was tired all the time anyway so you might not have recognized that it was an unusual tiredness yeah Yeah, she didn't feel like she was losing any weight um, she'd had, she never had any blood in her stool. She just had this pain in her side mm. and the pain was actually, um, a tumor that was in her liver. So her cancer had spread from her bowel to her liver and it was pressing against something. And, um, she phoned my parents to tell them and she said to them, are you sitting down? And the, the awful thing is my, my mom thought she was going to tell her that she was pregnant again. Um, and uh, she came out with this and uh, when I remember when they came down the stairs and they wouldn't tell me for it felt to me like an hour it must have been Mm. a minute and I said well somebody just tell me what is going on Mm. and they told me and I remember just crying and holding my mum and saying I'm so sorry and I know she said to me afterwards you then made a noise that I've never heard before Mm. some sort of screaming but I can't remember that at all Mm. um and I find a
1: feeling when you get there's there's a feeling when you have certain type of news and it literally feels like your chest is cracking open and the noise that comes out of you is is incredible when you when you have when you have bad news and I know so many people especially with cancer diagnosis it feels like such a harsh reality mm. that noise I completely can imagine uh, the pain in that moment with your mum and and you know you saying to her that you're sorry but she's your sister as well and yeah you know you're trying to carry all of that for her as well it's really difficult
2: yeah it is and you get this sense of when you're a sibling in grief you get this sort of responsibility that um, and like in a lot of the groups that I'm a member of on Instagram, we talk about how the siblings are like the forgotten group. Yeah. Um, that you feel this weight of responsibility on your parents because there's that saying, and it's so true, that nobody should bury their child. So you feel like, do you know what, their grief must be so much more intense than mine, and mine is overwhelming. So what on earth does yours feel like? And my sister was older than me, and it's just us two and i think yeah. in that split second i think it was what you said last week that you just lose that sense of innocence and you feel like instantly like okay i've got to take this on now
0: yeah it's it's so difficult and i think um, there's just so many feelings that that come along with grief and it's just so difficult what would you say the the hardest part of of your grief has been what has been the most difficult part of of it all
2: do you know I was thinking about that earlier today I, I would say that initial shock is one of the one of the worst because you get this when you get a something like that of course you think I'm gonna you know we're gonna fight this but mm. part of well part of me was always like you have to be prepared that this is something that she can't heal from mm. and I think that constant weight it, it wears you down I right? I spent those okay people spend years doing it but I spent it was only eight months but in this constant anticipation Mm. and um about a week before she died which was during lockdown and my mum had gone up to look after my sister she lived in Manchester and um my mum called and she said my sister wasn't doing great and I said should we come up and she said oh no 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 and then she phoned back about an hour later and she was in tears and she said um I think you should come up, and I think for me then, that was the, for me the feeling then was the darkest because I knew what was coming. Mm. Um,
0: Gosh, yeah, yeah, hearing you say that, it's just, you know, I've really got tingles going down my spine. It's just unbelievably painful. I mean, in your mind then, you must have just thought. What is happening? You know, yeah. what is what is happening? What is happening to my sister? What is happening to my family? Yeah. Um. And you get all of these questions going on in your head. You know, why me? You know, why my sister? And it, it's so difficult to get your head around. Oh. I Um. Um. I've said to a few people. You know, you get in in that point.
2: I did. I did a very cinematic move. I ran up to my bedroom. And I like, screamed at the ceiling and I was bashing the walls. Mm. And afterwards, I think, Do you know, that was a great performance. But I was <laughs> genuinely in such, I was so angry and distraught that I was shouting, "Like, why is this happening to me? But the person that never said that was my sister. She was amazing. I mean, if, I feel like if I had been given the diagnosis, I'd be saying that every day. But the yeah. day that she got the diagnosis, I phoned her and I said, Do you know what, this is really shit. And she said, yeah, it is shit, but one in three people get it. So why shouldn't I? And I thought, how can you say that? Yeah, Yeah, It's amazing that you've got that um, sort of practicality to say that.
1: So Um, from the beginning with with your sister's cancer, did you know that she was terminal? Did she have any treatment or?
2: uh, She so when they diagnosed her they said, we'll start chemotherapy within three weeks. And they did. And they said, the idea is that we want to shrink the tumor and operate. And when you hear that, you think there's some hope here. I've got, we can do this. And then they said, when we start chemo, we'll do a biopsy just to see what's going on. And um, I can't remember when the biopsy happened, but the results didn't seem to come through for ages. We were thinking, what is taking so long? And then the um, they came through at the end of January. So this was about two months after her diagnosis, and uh, they said it was something called a BRAF mutation. And uh, with that mutation, it doesn't respond to chemotherapy. Um, so what it does is it it recognises that there's something it doesn't like and then it mutates so it just wow. it keeps multiplying it's it's almost worse and i feel awful for her cuz i thought you've been going through this chemo for 2 months and
1: it doesn't work
2: it, it doesn't work so the chances with her type which is called V600 um, there's a 10% chance of chemotherapy working what they said was right we'll try this other chemotherapy but there is a trial that's been going for a few years it's had some very positive results and if this next chemotherapy doesn't work then we'll look at doing this trial and the trial you had to apply to it through I think it was at least two failed chemos Mm. for compassionate uh, reasons because it was never going to heal her Um, and that was another hard realization then that this wasn't going to go away yeah but this trial could give her longer so the day she told us about that I remember coming home from work and I knelt down and I didn't move it felt like the whole weekend I didn't move I just researched and researched about this just to be armed with everything that I felt I needed to know so she had um another lot of chemo which was stronger she started to lose her hair and that's when my mum went up to look after her and my brother-in-law and my niece, because she just she just couldn't do it, and it was lockdown as well. Yeah. And then she, I think she did three of those, and then they said, well, the cancer's not growing in the bowel or the liver, but she also had spots on her peritoneum, which had started to show some signs of developing. So they said, look, we'll do another lot of chemo. And then if that's still happening, we've got the forms for the trial ready. Mm. And um, she just went really downhill. She couldn't eat. She she was really vigilant about her medication, but it would take her all the strength to take this medication. Mm. And she went into hospital and she was in hospital, I think for three weeks at the longest stretch. And of course, nobody could go and visit her. Yeah. So she must have felt... I don't know, really lonely. And then um, she came out for a few days and then she had to go back in. And then it was the 19th of June, my brother-in-law got called to a meeting at the hospital and they said, she can't carry on with the chemo. She's She's just not strong enough. So what we want to do, we want to send her to a hospice where we can build her up and just get her pain control. Mm. And then we've got the forms, they're all signed. As soon as she's strong enough, will start on the trial and so she was due to start the trial on the 20th of July Um, and even about five or six days before I remember my mum saying to the hospice doctors we need her well enough to get to the hospital Mm. so she can start this trial and the doctor said I don't think we're going to get there.
1: Gosh. So was she in the hospice at the end of her life, Catherine.
2: Yeah. So she was in, hosp- in the hospice for a total of a month, actually exactly a month. But it was really good. And she, you know, she was obviously very upset. My sister really hardly ever cried. I could count on two hands the number of times I've seen my sister cry in my whole life. And um, she cried on the phone to my mum. She said, but you know what is good because you and, and her daughter would get to visit me every day. I'll get to see you. And um, it finally meant that my dad and I could go up and see her because we hadn't seen her since February.
0: That must have been uh, so difficult to have not seen her throughout all of that time.
2: Oh, I, yeah. You just feel really helpless. I, mm. I did things like I would send, you know, I'd organise for their shopping to go to them and stuff like that. But uh-huh. you think that I, I want to actually do something, but you couldn't do anything. Mm. So we got permission to go to the hospice because it was my niece's third birthday. And originally they were going to allow my sister out to go to come home to for her birthday. And then they said because of the coronavirus, it would be too risky. Mm. But what they could do was they could let her have a little party in their day room so they would sneak my dad and I in around the literally around the side door and then um my brother-in-law and my mom and my niece were there and um that was the first time I'd seen her with hair loss yeah. and um, I'd seen her on the fa- like on FaceTime but mm. it just takes away the reality of it doesn't it mm. and then um, seeing her and I when we went in I thought well I'm not supposed to go near her because and she just came over and gave me a hug she wasn't a huggy person but she just came and gave me a hug and I remember hugging her and thinking I can feel your bones mm. but she was so happy and serene more so than the rest of us we were all <laughs> and wet, but she was great
1: people have this um, incredible resilience when they're going through cancer themselves I, I i've never known anything like it and um it really wasn't until i was going through it with my dad and then meeting people who were also going through it through you know support groups and through chemo suites and appointments and the you know the resilience they show and they have this kind of ability to keep going for mm. the people in their families and your your sister clearly just wanted to hug you and tell you that it was all right and you know she was probably just thrilled to see you because it'd been all those months since she'd seen you as well so yeah that human and contact is just so so exactly.
2: precious I think that's what she really craved and um but, but she would never tell you I remember her saying afterwards oh it was so nice to see you and Dad and I really felt she yeah, for her, that was quite meaningful that she, she really meant it. So we saw her then and then she, we did go the next weekend and she had a fall and it was awful. If I close my eyes, I can still hear it. She'd, oh, bless her. She'd come, uh, She we weren't allowed in the hospice then, but she asked the nurses if she could go out and um, they said, yes, that was fine. And she started to walk and she just tripped over her slipper. Mm. And she didn't have any she couldn't control her fall yeah. at all. It was like everything had stopped working. And her head hit this concrete slab. And the three of us were I just thought, Oh my god, she's gone. Oh, uh, and gosh. she uh, thank God she just looked up and she went, Ow and I thought, Oh, oh my, my god. god And I just, wow absolutely I'm not a runner but I it towards the reception I was like you've got to come you've got to come and get to my sister and they were so good within seconds there were about seven nurses out there and they were like come on come on Gabby we'll be all right let's get she you wasn't back allowed in.
1: back outside then no, no, she <laughs> so had to wear trainers around everywhere
2: <laughs> exactly well it was see it was now yeah, that was sort of the beginning of July and um yeah bless her she got this big bump on her head and she mm. sent me a message because my dad and I were distraught and she sent me a message and she said mum said I have to send you this I'm okay I've just got a big bump on my head. Um, <laughs>
0: mum, mum said I love yeah. that. <laughs> really sticking argument, with that sibling,
1: I was going to say really sticking with that kind of sibling especially you, like being your big sister she's like I wasn't going to tell you this because I'm the cool big sister but <laughs> my <laughs> mum my told bum. me that I have to
2: yeah <laughs> this is my and, and I'm far more um still in that sort of child mode then than she was she would very sort of uh, well maybe behind their backs if my parents said something she didn't like she could off. But she wouldn't say it to their faces. <laughs> Whereas if they said something I wouldn't like, I'd think, oh well, no, I don't agree with that. But da mm-hmm. to try and sort of calm the waters. Yeah. Um, that was sort of the beginning of July, and then the week after that, she was really disorientated, she was hallucinating a bit. She kept saying to my mum about the workmen outside, and there was nobody outside. And then a couple of days after that, um, she went on the rampage around the hospice They had people sort of having to follow her around because she was refusing to go to bed, which I I knew from a friend of mine whose mum had had cancer was something called terminal agitation, which is where they just get this last sort of bolt of energy. Mm. And she went on the rampage around the hospice and um, – The next day is when my mum called me. So my dad and I arrived at the hospice and she was in bed. Her eyes were closed. She would hold your hand. She'd squeeze your hand. She'd occasionally open her eyes. But that was her for eight days. Um, And how she stayed like that for eight days, I don't know, because she didn't have any water. She didn't have anything to eat. The only time she made a noise was when she was in pain. And so the nurses would come in and give her some medication, some pain relief through um, her various syringe drivers that were in her. But I remember looking up about three days in because we just then had this sort of vigil by her bedside. And it's so strange because it's quite haunting. Actually, you sit there and you think she knows we're sitting here waiting for her to die. And she's just been stubborn and saying, I'm not going yet. You'll just have to wait.
1: I'm not ready.
2: Yeah. And she wasn't. And I get that because she has, I don't know, you check your tendencies, don't you, when you talk Mm. about somebody that's died. She had a little girl who was three and that little girl was her everything. She had a husband that adored her and worshipped the ground that she walked on. And why would she want to go from that? But, yeah, I remember looking up about three days in because I thought this isn't right. That we're not giving her any water, but she couldn't have swallowed anything. I remember looking up, how long can the body survive without water? And it said four days. And this was day three. And I thought, right, OK, so it'll probably be tomorrow. And then she kept going on. And I remember I was messaging my cousin. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where she's getting this strength it must have taken her every ounce of strength to just breathe but she found it from somewhere
0: that is incredible and I mean the fact that you were sort of frantically googling these questions and stuff I think I think that's a big part of grief it's just trying to make sense trying to find some knowledge you know because you're just mm. out of control you're so out of control that there's nothing there's nothing you can do and it. it's just an impossibly hard situation
2: yeah and all throughout her from diagnosis till well after she died I, I mean it's dangerous to google but part of me wanted to google because I wanted to know if something happened like this is what's supposed to happen or this is this isn't unusual don't panic or if say her breathing has changed right I know we haven't got long so if somebody's out of the room, let's make sure they're back in the room. But yeah, it's kind of sinister Googling all that stuff at the time. But it's you just feel like
1: Yeah, it's completely normal though. I mean, I had a very similar situation with dad in that he was dying for quite a quite a while. You know, he had sort of seven days where he deteriorated and throughout the week nurses would tell us different things. They'd say, Well, mm. know if he is breathing rapidly or maybe if you hear this crackle this kind of like death crackle that they talk about or you know if he suddenly has a spurt of energy and then he might then just go to sleep Um, and actually none of that happened you know we were waiting to find that sign and the thing that was the sign was his fingers turning blue and that was one of the things that people had said, but it wasn't on the list of things that we were looking for as that kind of top thing. But you just don't know what you're looking for in that time. And especially, I mean, he was the same, didn't have any food or water for a long time before he died. And it was like, how is he going? How does he keep going with this? Mm,
2: yeah, you just think, where is that? Is that coming from? You're right I with think. that. It's like this checklist of... What do I need to look for? What's the next stage? What's the next stage? And I'd known about that death crackle from my my nan passing. And I'd done the same thing I'd Googled then. And I can remember the exact time when her started. And I remember looking at my mum and I went, that's the rattle. And that that was her. And um, I thought I'd heard it with my sister. And uh, you sort of go into Right. okay, it's not going to be long. And then they adjusted her in bed and her breathing went back to normal but yeah the nurses were coming the nurses were beyond amazing they were so good and they would come in and they would just say is everything okay and they treated my sister with such respect up until she died they would you know if they were coming in to give her some morphine they would say okay Gabby I'm going to give you some of this okay I'm going to hold on to your hand and you know they would talk her through she couldn't respond to them And um, one pulled my mum out about four days before she died. And she said, "Um, I think it's going to be within the next hour.
0: Oh, my
2: gosh. Yeah. And so we all were like, right, okay, fine. They must know. Mm. So um, we were all there. And my mum looked at me and she said, I have to go. I have to put my my sister's daughter to bed. And I said, I'll go, I'll go. And she said, no, it's fine. I'm okay but somebody needs to be with my niece mm. and um, so she went and my sister carried on for a few days
1: she had that nurse stubborn. and she was like hell no <laughs> she's like,
2: excuse me I'll go in my time yeah and I'm ready <laughs>
1: Gabrielle sounds like she's going to be hanging out with Rob. (laughs) Both very stubborn people. (laughs)
2: Incredibly stubborn. Like, I've got no control over this, but I can control this. (laughs)
1: You
2: just wait on it.
1: I love that. We talk a little bit um, about, well, I I talk quite a bit about signs because I am like an avid, crazy Robin lady and I will talk to every Robin I see as if it is my dad. And I know that you've said that you you kind of have interest in signs. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with them and what comfort they bring to you?
2: Well, your thing with robins is my thing with feathers, which Mm -hmm. occur more frequently. So if you go to the park and you see feathers and I'm going, hi, gee, people (laughs) must think there's about 50 (laughs) feathers in here. What's going on? But um, feathers... I mean they weren't really significant until my nan died and I remember somebody saying you know if you see a feather it means your loved one's near Mm. and I remember sitting in my office at work in front of the desk and out of nowhere this feather just fell in front of my monitor and I'm going wow where has that come from And it just Mm. landed and I kept it um and feathers just appear at random places. So they've appeared on my front doorstep since my sister's died in the garden. Um, sometimes they'll just appear on the floor. So that sign for me is an important one. It's obviously not every feather means something, but just where it appears out of nowhere, I think maybe that's something. And my sister would be the last person to tell you that was something because she was so pragmatic. And she like, it's just a feather but to me it means something I've got a ring my mum got me a ring for Christmas and it's like a feather and I I just play with it a lot because for me that feather is just that reminder that she's around. Um, Do you
0: know what Hearing, hearing you talk about that and talking about these feathers dropping around and talking about talking to feathers I've just got the biggest smile on my face because I think it's so so lovely receiving these signs and it's just such a wonderful feeling um how do you feel when you sort of see these feathers do you you know do you feel comforted do you feel a bit sad or do you feel a bit crazy because you're talking to feathers <laughs> I
2: mean yeah, it's a little bit of crazy there but I feel I'd say I feel quite comforted by it mm. the one that was a bit strange I would say is um when I was about I don't know 20 my my nan that passed away a couple of years ago she gave me two rings one for me and one for my sister It wasn't any big thing she went do you want these I don't want them anymore and they're lovely rings and so I said to my sister because she's more fussy with than me with jewellery I said which one would you like and she said oh, I'll have this one and then the other one I wear it all the time but she never took the ring with her so it sits on my jewellery stand and um so I got up a few weeks ago went to the shower and right in the middle of the shower tray was that ring and I don't know how it got there I have no idea how it got there it was just wow. and it was like smack bang in the middle of the shower tray and I remember just looking up and going what's that about mm. because you think what is that are you playing what is that with fine? me <laughs> yeah and my mum said to me a while ago she said do you know what I think your sister's playing with me because she borrowed a pair of when my sister died because we'd all sort of gone up in a rush mm. I didn't have enough clothes with me and my mum borrowed a pair of her knickers and she said Gabrielle said no knickers I said, what are you talking about she said I put this pair of knickers out that I was going to wear and they're gone and I said, oh, do you think they're in the job no I've looked and she's she says I don't know what your sister's doing but she's hidden those knickers from me so it's <laughs> little funny things like that and I they just bring that. you a bit of comfort but I totally get how it might freak somebody out just to mm. get this to get this sign but to me it's like a it's a comfort that If nothing else, it reminds me of that person. Yeah. If I'm putting my spiritual head on, which I am quite spiritual, it's her saying to me, "I'm still here." Mm. Not that I would ever forget about her, but don't forget, I'm still around.
1: (laughs) I'm still watching.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's so true, and it's exactly how I feel when I have sort of received signs or, or felt things it just feels like a little blanket of love dropping over me and just saying i'm here i've still got you you know mm. and it, it's difficult because obviously you want them right there next to you having a cup of tea but they they, they are such comforting moments when you do receive those signs
2: yeah. in dreams as well i know my cousin has had a dream with my sister and she said to my she said to my cousin that she missed everybody but she was okay and I dreamed about I've had about three dreams about her and one was maybe I don't know two months ago and um in the dream my dad had come to my bedroom and he said they've got it wrong your sister's alive and I ran down the stairs and she was sitting in my neighbor's garden Mm. and her hair was blonde well her hair was brown and she had this sort of aura of light around her and I remember hugging her and she said it's okay they got it wrong um but I just take the it's okay part um but the the biggest one of the dreams that I've I've had was actually about my grandmother where Mm. it was about six weeks after she died and I'd found it really hard and I was in this sort of state between awake and asleep and I could feel this Something was like stroking my hand, like mm. my nan used to do, and she'd been in my dream, and she looked as she looked, and she just looked at me, and she went, "It doesn't hurt anymore." And I woke up from that, and I yes. thought, "Okay, I'm fine. Oh. That is okay." That's so special.
1: Um,
2: I'm just waiting for, I'm just waiting for that one from my sister, but I feel like she must be thinking somewhere. I'm not okay because I would desperately love to be with you. Um,
1: So um, you mentioned that your sister is a mum. So could you tell us a little bit about her daughter and how you remember her with her? My sister's
2: daughter is like my sister reincarnate in terms of attitude. She's (laughs) incredibly intelligent and funny and stubborn, just like her mother. And we say that to a lot, just like your mother. But, she, I mean, she looks – she's 50% her dad and 50% her Mm.
1: mum.
2: The days before my sister died – so my niece last saw my sister about 10 days before my sister died. Mm. And um, we took the decision that we wouldn't take her into the hospice because it would just distress her to see her mum in bed. And I know other people would do differently, but that's what we felt was best for my niece. Yeah. And the hospice were good at talking to us about how do we prepare this child for this talk about her mum not being here anymore. And my mum, I don't know where she got the strength from, she said to my niece, Now, you know, mummy's had a really poorly tummy, yeah, and the doctors have been trying to find some medicine. Well, the doctors haven't been able to find any medicine for mummy, and so that means that mummy might. Not be coming home, and um toddlers are so resilient because she just she just cried, threw her toys across the room, and then asked for a picnic. You know, the, it's just instantaneous change. Mm, mm. I think because their minds just go, okay, I can't cope with any more than that. Yeah, and the hospice had said to us, these are some books that would be good. And my niece loves books. She has a story every night and she'll Aww. happily sit, especially with her mum. Her mum was a librarian and had a real passion for children's literature. Um, she would have sat and listened to my sister read stories for hours. Um, and my cousin had sent some books that she had researched that would be good to talk to children about loss. And she already had a couple, um, but there was one in particular called The Invisible String*. Which is a beautiful book. And it's there's only one page about dying, but it's about this idea that even if you can't see somebody, somebody you love and you are attached by this invisible string. So even if you're far away, you're all connected together. And um I oh,
1: want a she, copy of this book. <laughs> yeah, oh, that sounds really, lovely.
2: It's really lovely, it really is a lovely book. And um she asked for it for quite a few nights before her mum died. Um, in fact, the night my sister died, um, I wasn't there when my sister died. I was at home putting my niece to bed. Um, mm. And my sister died about, I think it was about half seven in the evening.
1: Mm.
2: And um, I remember getting my niece ready for bed and I didn't know my sister had died by this point, And just quickly looking at my phone and my aunt had messaged me to say, I don't know what to say, Catherine, I'm so sorry. And I remember thinking, right, she's gone. Okay, I need to put this child to bed. Um, And she asked for that. And reading that story and knowing that this little girl had to live her life without her mum, I I had to get some strength from somewhere. And uh, we didn't say anything to her that day or the next day that her mum had died. Maybe Mm. because we wouldn't have been able to say it. Um, But the hospice said to us, look, it's really important that you use the word died. Don't use went to sleep, has gone to heaven. My sister didn't believe in heaven. Mm. So it would have been wrong for us to say that. Mm. So about three or four days after my sister died, um, my mum was... I think in my sister's bedroom and my niece came in and she said, oh, mummy's medication, we need to take it to her. And my mum sat her down and told her that mummy had really, really been very brave, but that mummy had died. So we wouldn't see mummy anymore, but mummy would always be in our hearts.
0: Gosh, that is just so emotional I mean
1: I'm like in pieces
0: over here sorry
1: oh my gosh
0: (laughs) Catherine that is just unbelievably moving and wow (laughs) I mean like from from this short call that we've had with you your sister just sounds sounded you know we've just spoken about the the tense thing absolutely wonderful she she really did and that comes across and the way that you talk so about her much. so well yeah.
1: mm. and the strength that she showed through that that you know when she passed it almost feels like she's given you all that strength that she carried through that time yeah. for you and to that... carry and, and give to her daughter and to to you know to love and to, to cherish all of that time that you had with her
2: Yeah, my brother said the same. uh, My brother in law, excuse me, said the same in the eulogy. He said, I think she was showing us what we have to do now and we have to be strong and we have to stay together because that's what's most important. Mm.
1: Um,
2: My sister had planned to do my niece a memory box. That was something that she'd wanted to do with the hospice, but unfortunately she got too ill. Mm. Um, But she did um, ask as well that her thumbprint He put on um a necklace yeah uh, which we managed to do and I I remember when the woman came to do it and she took the impression of my sister's thumb and I remember thinking my sister must be going I know what you're doing I'm not going anywhere but I know what you're doing so Mm. that necklace I have to say my mum and I got copies as well um and my aunts and my cousins we all have one and that means so much to us. And my niece has one, but she would lasso it around probably. So you know, yeah. a bit older. she can
1: have it when she's a bit older. <laughs> yeah. She'll
2: um she'll sometimes look a bit wistful and a bit sad. And then a few weeks ago she got really upset with my brother in law and she said, I really miss mummy. And um but you know, a little while later she was bouncing around the living room. She she'll look at pictures, say in our house, and she go, Oh, there's mummy. We'll say yes um, and I know that one day she will she won't remember her mum mm. except for pictures and videos and how amazing is it that nowadays we have the luxury of having all these videos and phones and things yeah. um, which will obviously keep for her but she uh, what I would say is if somebody's thinking should I say something in front of a child? about their loved one that passed away it's like don't be frightened too, especially if they're really little they they will forget one day but they you don't want them to forget mm. And and I want her to be okay with like it's okay to be sad because I'm yeah. sad as well that mummy's not here um and so if you want to cry that's that's totally normal but she is just every, you know, she's our light. Oh my gosh, she has got, she has got us through this hard time. She really has.
0: I was just gonna say, she sounds absolutely fantastic, and also, thank you for that really great advice about just, you know, talking about keeping that parent alive um, for, for like for a child because for other people who are listening and might be going through the same situation to hear that that would be really helpful and really useful for them
1: it was interesting you saying that actually because my next question was going to be about you know what's been the biggest thing that's helped you get through this time and actually you know it's clear that that little girl has has done a lot of that support for all of you probably Mm -hmm. there's something about having children around which just it just lights up a room, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, because you feel like I don't want to be sad around you. I mean, we we try not to cry in front of it. I don't. I think I've only done it once, maybe. But you want to make things nice and you do it any time. You want to, you know, them to be happy and smiley and giggly. So you ha- you almost put your woes to the side and think, okay, I can I can be me and that's cool, and we can have. Fun, and that's nothing to feel guilty about because it's it is it's great to feel happy, even though we're feeling sad up it is great to feel happy, so she is a huge thing that's I would say, especially with my parents. She has been just you know I don't even want to think about what it would be like if she wasn't there um my friends have been incredible um my work friends when they I, I dreaded my first day back at work I don't know about you when you oh yeah went back to work and you're thinking I don't want anyone to say anything to me and the first person didn't know d- doesn't really know me and said oh hi did you have a great summer and I went not really oh
0: no
1: and then just ran <laughs> off <laughs>
2: oh and, gosh um, there were there were people that came up to me like uh, I so I as I said I'm a teacher one of the art teachers came up and she and I follow each other on Instagram mm. and she said you know I'm so sorry to hear about your sister I don't know how to help but if you'd like me to do something like I could do a portrait of her if you know if if that's mm. something and I thought that's so wonderful yeah um and they'll just Check in one of my old colleagues who, again, she and I follow each other on Instagram. She'll occasionally message me, and she'll be like, "Can you tell me a good story about your sister today?" You know, if I'm feeling a bit rubbish.
1: Um,
2: so it's so lovely, and or she'll say, "Tell me, tell me a happy memory today." And she and I weren't that close at work; we were friends, but I've found her a real support because she'll she won't shy away from it. Um, another one of my friends. I don't know, it was about two days after my sister died, sent this amazing platter of food mm. that arrived and we didn't amazing. even have to think about cooking or anything. I, I couldn't even tell you what we ate in the days yeah. after I don't even know if we did half the time. Um, and people that, I know some people don't like people from their past coming back to say stuff, but there were people I'd been friends with that I hadn't seen for a long time mm. that just would check in and say you know let's go for a walk one day and when this student lockdown's over and um and let's let's talk that's been really good and also finding the communities online I was just going to ask you about this
0: (laughs) I was just (laughs) going to ask you sort of like how did you discover the online community and how does it help you
2: do you know, I couldn't even tell you where it started. I I must have just come across a post one day and it resonated with me. Mm. And you go down this sort of Instagram wormhole and you start yeah. looking at all these different profiles.
1: <laughs> the grief rabbit see, hole.
2: <laughs> yeah, the grief rabbit hole. Absolutely I love that. And um you just start following these pages because you think that speaks to me. I get that I, I'm you know, and you would you find a post and it hits you. Mm. I think this person has just seen into me for a moment mm. um I'm really trying to use my grief period to share with people as well that we need to talk about grief, and it's really important not to shy away from it. so I often repost things on my stories. It could be facts about grief or bereavement or things that people ideally shouldn't say to you and things that you should yeah. say um and so maybe getting advice for for those sorts of things is where i've found all these different avenues and this huge community that nobody wants to be a part of but loads of people are um yeah, that is
0: i, I can't agree more i mean the instagram community is absolutely amazing i mean Um, Lucy and I actually met through the Instagram community basically or the, the grief community and it's just an amazing world and yeah like you said sort of you well Lucy like you said you just go down this grief rabbit hole and it just avalanches you know you find one account and then you just find more and more and more and more and there's just well obviously it's not an alternative to professional therapy but there is so much help out there and just such a big weird family of grieving people <laughs>
2: mm. and people that aren't frightened to you know the other day somebody reached out to me and said how did you do this I lost my sister three days ago what do I do mm. I thought well I'm not qualified but I'll I'll tell you what I did yeah um, and just you know I remember there was somebody who had lost her sister a couple of years ago and I remember messaging her when my sister was diagnosed, and I said, you know, can you give me some advice here about what to do, and and she'd given me all this advice. Unfortunately, my sister was too ill to, for me to yeah. do a lot of it, but I remember messaging her and saying, oh, my sister passed away a few days ago, and she checks in with me every now and then, and I check in with her if she's having a, a rubbish day. So, it's somebody that's, it's somebody that's, online that's got your back that if you say I'm having a rubbish day today you can be really honest and you know they're not going to go oh I don't know what to say about that they can go me too Should we talk yeah. about it
0: yeah that's 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 so right and it's so great that you've you know got those people around you part of why I feel so strongly about talking about
2: grief and bereavement is that my sister would never ever have sung her own praises she was incredibly modest um she didn't want really she didn't really want people to know that she had cancer um she certainly never wanted people to see her without her hair um I don't know if that's because she didn't want to seem like it was taking its toll on her but I feel like part of my mission almost is to to let people know what a wonderful person she was and how mm. the world is just a sadder and a bit of an emptier place without her but but let me tell you about what she was like when she was here because she was so cool and um, she's my sister so I'm allowed to say that and, <laughs> yeah. um, we were we were chalk and cheese in every way Love um that. but Classic she was sisters yeah she was the cheese and I was the chalk like we were just paired together and um yeah don't feel I would say to people don't feel like you can't talk about this person in and people won't get bored because I I don't care (laughs) people Mm -hmm. get bored and I'm like do you know what this person was amazing Mm -hmm. um and I'm so sad that I I only got her for as long as I did um, but I'll tell people about her and how wonderful she was until the day I die
1: thank you for listening to this episode of the grief sofa podcast Please subscribe and rate and review to help us reach new listeners.
0: If you have enjoyed listening and would like to join us on The Grief Sofa, please get in touch on Instagram at thegriefsofa or email us thegriefsofa at gmail.com.